0: Well, as Ileana said, this is our last Sunday in Romans, and I hear the groanings, and the, I hear, I see some tears trickling down some of your faces, uh, but, it, but if you recall last week, we actually, the sermon was entitled Closing Remarks. Uh, Paul pulls a little uh, U-turn here and actually gives us Closing Remarks again, and so this is entitled Closing, Remar- closing Remarks for Real This Time. This is not me who's doing this. This is the Apostle Paul. If you have trouble, take it up with the Holy Spirit. But he closes his letter again. And here's what I, let me just start with this. Here's what I think is what happened. Uh, I think what happened is Paul had this idea of, I need to communicate to the Roman church because there's controversy, because there's conflict, because there's misunderstanding about the gospel. And he says, I need to get this letter uh, to them as, you know, Soon, So he's writing this letter, he closes the letter, and then he says, oh my goodness, who's going to take the letter? And he hears about someone in the church where he is who's traveling to Rome, and her name is Phoebe. And he says, oh, Phoebe, will you take this letter? And she says, oh, Paul, of course I'll take this letter for you. I'm going there anyway. He says, oh, okay, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write you a little introduction to the people in rome so that when you get there they know who you are they know how to receive you and they'll know what it is you're there to do because the people in rome know paul but they don't know phoebe so this is why we get to at the end of romans in chapter 16 uh, most of your title uh, bibles will probably title this something like personal greetings Uh, this is what people did in the past so that when their letter arrived The person bringing the letter knew what to do. Because remember, there's no post office, right? There's no Pony Express. There's not even a Roman Express. There's just no way to carry something along. So, of course, you're going to send it with someone else. And when you send a letter with someone in ancient times, uh, especially a letter like this that has a lot of potentially difficult things in it, you're going to entrust that letter to a person that you believe can help them understand what it is that you've written so consider this as well paul is writing the letter phoebe's going to rome is phoebe traveling from corinth to rome by herself Two thousand years ago no way no way she's probably going in some with some kind of group she's probably a businesswoman she probably has dealings in rome she's a wealthy woman for sure we're going to see that in a second Uh, but he thinks that of all the people that are going to Rome from Corinth, she's the one who's going to carry his letter because he trusts her to help them understand what it is that he's written. So, this is kind of the background of the letter that he, of this ending. So, I'm just going to read the first half of it to you. I'm going to tease out a few things. We're actually going to be short today because we have, um, as many of you know, we've got a very quick meeting coming up right after the service, and then we've got a wonderful meal that's waiting for us downstairs. So here's what Paul says in Romans 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co workers in Christ Jesus. Now he's actually naming people that he knows in Rome that he wants Phoebe to know that they're there. He wants, them, he wants her to be able to connect with them. And he wants those people in Rome, because they know Paul, to then vouch for Phoebe. Does that make sense? So he says, he says, Greet Priscilla and Achilla, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Greet my dear friend, Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Trophina and Trophosa, who, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Asen- Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Now, by the way, a quick little word. If you're ever in charge of reading something like this in public, just pretend like you know exactly how those names are supposed to be pronounced, and everyone, no one will ha- have the audacity to, to question you. Um, so unless you're some language nut, uh, in which case, feel free to correct any of those pronunciations. But Paul's writing this letter, and he says, look, here are the people that I know among you. Here are the relationships I already have. And so part of that is he's saying to Phoebe, you can go to these people and get help uh, because they've been good to me, they'll be good to you, right? Uh, But it's interesting, this list is uh, really kind of telling for us. And I'm not going to make a huge point here today and I'm not going to get too off into the weeds, but just notice how many people Paul honors for their service, for their faithfulness, for their hard work, Right? For their service to the church and service and ministry of the gospel. And he particularly mentions to, to like, uh, Priscilla and Aquila. you know, all the Gentiles are grateful to them. So, this ministry that Paul's been a part of, they've helped him. Now, it's also interesting to note how many of these people are women. Because I think sometimes we read the New Testament and there are certain verses that we look at that give us the impression that women are kind of like second class citizens in the Bible and in Christianity. And certainly the way some churches um, engage around this topic of women who speak, women in leadership, uh, it can feel like women are second-class citizens in the church. But I just want to point out to you that in Paul's world, this is not the case. It is not the case. He does have things that he says about women, and again, I'm not going to get too far into that today, but just notice that whatever he meant by that What he didn't mean was that women cannot be ministers of Jesus Christ. He cannot. Look at the very first woman that we have here. Uh, We've got Phoebe. Phoebe is called a deacon of the church, and she's also a benefactor or protector of Paul, which means that she has financially contributed to Paul. But not only financially, this word that's translated, I think it's translated, um, uh, uh, what does it say? Uh, Yeah, benefactor here in the NIV that word also means protector. So you can think of it like this. You have someone in the community with standing. They, they have wealth, but they also have social standing. And then here comes Paul into town, preaching this weird religion for them, right? And he's creating and causing conflict, particularly among the Jews, because he's preaching the message of God to the Gentiles. And as we've seen in the book of Romans, that creates some conflict and so she was someone who stood by him not only financially supporting him but being a protector of sorts someone who stood in the gap and said uh, you know you've got my covering so she was providing covering for paul think about that for a minute not only that but she's called a deacon in some churches women aren't allowed to be deacons but we have right here in the, Old, in, the in the new testament in the days of paul himself phoebe's called a deacon Now a deacon means a servant. That's what the word deacon means. And so a lot of Bible translations have translated this I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Centria. But what's interesting is that when men are called deacons in the New Testament, it's almost always translated deacon. But when women are called deacons in the New Testament, it's often translated servant. But the word is the same. And so it's, it's really the, the uh, perspective of the translator that's going to impact which word you get there in your own translation that you're reading. Now, this doesn't necessarily resolve any questions about you know, the formal roles and different types of structures like that in and of itself. But just to let you know that there's nothing in Paul's writing, there's nothing in the Greek text itself that would suggest that she's anything other than the same kind of deacon that all the other people in the New Testament are when they're called deacons. That word diakonos, uh, it's the same word, except just feminine, because she's a woman. He says, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people, and to give her any help she may need from you, for she's been the benefactor of many people, including me. So, this is a woman who has been a, a, a hugely influential person in the church. She probably, because of her wealth, and he talks about her being a benefactor, she's probably financially supporting multiple people who are ministers of the gospel, whether they be missionaries or whether they be local leaders. It's very likely that she has a church meeting in her home because most of the churches in that day met in homes. And what we'll see in a minute is it's possible and probably verging on likely that as someone who hosted a church in her home, she was the one doing the greeting and maybe even encouraging the saints in other ways in her home publicly in the church, which was her home. So it's just something to be aware of. The very next woman that he mentions is Priscilla. You guys might recognize that name from the book of Acts. She shows up in a couple of different places. But uh, Priscilla and her husband, Aquila, they were converts to Christianity and they also preached the gospel to Gentiles. And in, when, when Paul uh, was with them in Corinth, one of the things that they were actually exiles from Rome because of persecution, they left Rome. They were in Corinth, and they participated with Paul in his tent-making business. They were also tent-makers. But while they were doing this business, they were sharing the gospel. Now, one of the things that's interesting about the Greek language and Greek culture is that typically when a husband and wife are named, the husband is always named first. And so I think about when I was growing up, I remember my grandparents, I wrote them a letter. And when I wrote them a letter, I put uh, their names as my grandfather was Marshall and my grandmother was Luella. Marshall and Luella Johnson. That's how I wrote their name when I wrote them a letter. But when we were going to their house, I never said we're going to grandpa and grandma's house. We always said we're going to grandma and grandpa's house. So in the formal structure, Marshall and Luella, in the relational dynamic, grandma and grandpa. Why? Because when we went over there, we spent way more time with grandma than we did with grandpa. She was way more connected than he was. And so it just naturally came out of our mouths, we're going to grandma and grandpa's house. It's the same way in the Greek. When Priscilla and Achilla are mentioned, apart from any ministry that they do, Achilla, the husband's name, always comes first, followed by Priscilla. But whenever Paul or Luke or anyone's talking about the ministry they do, Priscilla's name always comes first, and Achilla's name always comes second. What does that tell us? There had to be a really strong reason to overrule these Kind of conventions of society and grammar and culture. Priscilla was probably the main teacher whenever they were doing ministry. And Priscilla didn't just teach women, and she didn't just preach children. She actually taught Apollos, who was one of the great leaders in the early first century church. Uh, you might remember in 2 in Corinthians there's conflict. Some people follow Paul. Some people follow Peter. Some people follow Apollos. There are these different dominant leaders in the church. Well, Apollos was taught the gospel by Priscilla and Achilla. Not Achilla and Priscilla. Priscilla and Achilla. Her name comes first. She's teaching the gospel to one of the great leaders of the church. And he also says that the church meets um, in their home. So she's doing this not just on the streets, but in the church. She's a great teacher in the church. Paul then goes on to talk about a few other women. Mary, who's this hard worker in that language uh, that's implied there is that she's a hard worker in Christ. She's a hard worker in the church. We don't know what she does, but Paul Paul honors her. Uh, And Then we get this interesting, verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Now, in the New Testament, the word apostle is used in two different ways. There's those 12 apostles, right? We had the 12 disciples, and then after Jesus' resurrection, they're called the 12 apostles. Now, of course, Judas died uh, before that happened, the traitor, the one who betrayed Jesus to the Romans. Uh, But in Acts 1, we see that the church replaces Judas with another person who had known Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. But then also Paul, in a very different kind of way, by encountering Jesus on the road to Damascus, he becomes an apostle. And a way that we talk about this a lot of times is we talk about capital A apostles and lowercase a apostles. Because there's actually lots of apostles in the New Testament. But there's these 12 plus 1 that Paul even ironically calls the super apostles. But an apostle just means someone who's sent. An apostle is an emissary. An apostle is someone who uh, takes takes a message from one person a powerful person to another person or group and they have the authority to relay that message with the same authority of the person who sent them now these capital a super apostles uh you know they were they had a special authority in the church so paul's able to write this letter to romans he's never even met these people but they listened to him But to say that Junia is an apostle just means essentially that she's she's a missionary. She's someone who takes the gospel to to other people and speaks with authority and teaches them what it is. And she's there with Andronicus, who may or may not be her husband. We don't know. But she's called outstanding among the apostles. So she's one of the great apostles. Now that apostleship calling is a calling of gifting more than it is a calling of a title or a role in the church. But it just illustrates again how much Paul sees that women are are vital and instrumental in the work of the gospel, not only in certain places, but being sent out around the world. Interestingly enough, older translations often say Andronicus and Junius. They they make this a a masculine name because they're uncomfortable with a woman being called an apostle. There's There's no early Greek text that has her, that name as masculine. Uh, but some translations make it masculine. Another thing that they do, a lot of tra- older translations, is they'll say, Andronicus and Junia, who are highly esteemed among the apostles, instead of outstanding among, among them. Meaning that the apostles esteem Junia, rather than that she is an outstanding apostle. Do you see the difference? But there's, it's, it's, there's nothing grammatically that even allows for that translation. It's a bad translation. Uh, but, here we are. We live, in a, we live in a time where there's even a concern about talking about women sharing the gospel by some translators. And so they, they go around it. They kind of find a way to avoid that translation. Next we have Trophina and Trophosa, Hard Christian workers. These are names that are most commonly used by slaves. So they were probably freed slaves who were... People who, freed slaves who encountered the gospel message, received the gospel with joy, and then became hard Christian workers in the church. Again, whatever that exactly means, I'm not sure, but they were, they were again, highly regarded in the church for their hard work for the, for, the, for the gospel. And we have Persis, who's also a hard Christian worker. Rufus's mother, who's like a mother to Paul. We have Julia. And we have Narius's sister. They're among the Lord's people. You see, Paul is like Jesus does over and over. He's honoring women in ministry. And so I just wanted to take a few minutes to talk about that because sometimes we, we look at certain scripture passages. And by the way, I'm not ignoring those. We don't want to ignore those either. But we have to take the whole counsel of God into consideration when we think about what does it look like In the church and what types of things are we expecting one another to do men women children whatever it is Uh, and to understand that sometimes uh, if we just take one aspect of it into account it might lead us astray because whatever paul meant by those passages about women teaching about women speaking whatever he meant he couldn't have meant that phoebe wasn't a deacon who could present this letter to the church and i even help explain what's in it because that's what people who carried letters did he couldn't have meant that priscilla can't teach apollos because he's a man because she did and he honors her he couldn't have meant that even slave women can't be powerful servants of god in the church because he mentions them by name and honors them in this letter that's then saved and passed down through the ages by the by the uh, intention of the holy spirit to preserve this letter for us so that we could read it two thousand years later and see these things that's pretty big it's pretty amazing So I just say that, all you women out there, uh, praise God for you. We're thankful for you. Many of you have been hard workers for the Lord in this church. Many of you have boldly proclaimed the gospel. Many of you have encouraged and taught and challenged each other, but also us men in the Lord. And we thank you for it. We honor you for it. Praise God for you. So that's the first thing. And the next thing is, Paul makes this simple warning in verse 17. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Paul has spent a lot of time talking about, uh, if you will, the issues of controversy, but in his closing remarks, he warns about the people of controversy. Right? So he said, hey, be on guard. Be alert. Don't let people come in and sow division in your midst, especially on things. Remember those disputable matters? Uh, I, I didn't intend to connect this, but I'm just thinking, you know, even, even uh, the role of women in the church has become a very much a disputable matter. Hasn't it? And I think Paul is even speaking to us today. Don't let that divide you. Don't let that cause division in your ranks. Uh, but there's so many others that we could get divided on. We could get divided on politics. We could get divided on practice. We could get divided on worship. We could get divided on so many things. And Paul says, unless there's, unless there's real clarity in the Scripture, do not let yourselves become divided over these things. You focus on the things that God has made clear to you, and you be obedient to those. If you have division over those, I understand. But don't have division over the things that don't need to cause division. Don't be persuaded by smooth talk and flattery. Don't be, don't be the kind of person that just fulfills your own desires and isn't looking to the Lord and to the Scripture what it is that we're called to do and don't let anyone else come in and lead you astray who does and he gives us encouragement and and it's almost like he's saying you know i want you to be on guard but have hope because in verse 20 the god of peace will soon crush satan under your feet says you are not without power here you're not at the mercy of the culture you're not at the mercy of people who would create division you're not at the mercy of satan because even Satan himself will be crushed under your feet. God is at work. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you, he says. And then to close out the letter, he sends some greetings from some friends who know the people in Rome. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, my fellow Jews. And then I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord, because Paul's dictating and he's got someone transcribing. So, the guy writing down the words, he greets them in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greeting. And Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Cordus, send you their greetings. These are probably powerful men. One of them is the director of public works. By the way, a really good person to have on your side as the church. We see it even today. Uh, you know, these are powerful people. It's not just. Slaves, It's not just poor people. It's not just the downtrodden who received the gospel. People with power and prestige and money and businesses and resources like Phoebe and, and, and Erastus and Cortus, they have received the gospel too. The gospel is for everyone. And then at the end of that final greeting, Paul says, Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim in Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. That mystery is simply that Gentiles and Jews can come together as one people and have relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all Gentiles might come to obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. And there Paul closes. And he rolls up the letter. And he hands it to his trusted, trusted deacon, Phoebe, and he sends it off to Rome. And the letter arrives in Rome. And there are people, I imagine, who say, Paul who? Who is this guy to tell us? And Phoebe says, no, 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 no. You know Priscilla and Achilla. You know Epinetus. You know Mary. They all can vouch for Paul. Here's the letter, and it's read and there's a conviction of the Holy Spirit in it so strongly that this letter is then preserved and copied and spread across the known world so that to this day we have copies of this letter that are almost 1,900 years old that attest to this message of Paul and to the work of the Holy Spirit to preserve it so that you and I today can receive this letter with the same Maybe conviction, but also joy that it was received 2,000 years ago. Isn't it amazing what God has done for you and for me? Not only to build the foundation of the church so many years ago, but then to preserve things like this, letters like this, teachings like this, so that you and I can read them so many years later and be moved and challenged, convicted, encouraged, blessed. And that we might more faithfully follow Jesus Christ and experience the fullness of the gift of the gospel in our own lives. That's what I leave with you, church. That's what we've been doing since, I don't know, January, February. That's what we've been doing. Unfolding this precious message. And again, all of these precious messages, right? All of them preserved by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the church of faithful men and women throughout history so that today we could be blessed. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you as we close this out, uh, and then we'll share with you what we're doing next. Lord, you have been so faithful, and you have been so good, and we've sung about it. Lord, we've sat under the the teaching that proclaims it, But I'm just struck by even how the existence of this teaching, Lord, is another testimony to your goodness and faithfulness. Lord, that you have not left us without counsel. You have not left us uh, without your word. And God, in that word, what we've been seeing is that you desire for your church to be unified around the things that are most important. The things that are most important to you, the things that you've made most clear. And not to be divided by anything else that isn't. God, we pray for the churches today. We start with our own, those around us, but also the churches of the world, Lord. That there would actually be a season of increased cooperation. Lord, a season of increased unity. Not by forsaking the things that are most clear and most important, but that you would be at work in our churches, in our hearts, the individual believers, but also the organizations and the the um, Denominations and the, the the publication houses, Lord, every facet of kind of Christian culture in this world, Lord, to to bring us back to fidelity to Your Word, to faithfulness to Your mission, Lord, that we would have a clear sense of Your calling and purpose in our lives, and that we would be united and bound together by it. Lord, we bless You that this is what You've been up to. We bless You that and honor you and praise you because this is what at least I'm seeing in many places after a a long time of what appeared to be a rejection of your truth and of your gospel and of your word. God, we pray for a full return. God, we also pray with thanksgiving and gratitude that you have held us in the gospel uh, not because we are great but simply because you're great. God, let us never become prideful even about our own belief and obedience, but to see that even as a gift of your Holy Spirit and a gift of Jesus Christ and a gift of the grace that comes in the gospel. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name because Jesus is the only name under heaven by by which we can pray and by which we can be convinced, Lord, that you hear and you respond and you honor that prayer. Amen. there it is